Howdy, and welcome to the Aggie Greats podcast. My name is Kenner, and I'm so glad you joined us this week as we dive deep to understand what makes the great great. Here on Aggie Greats, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to live life to the fullest. We're so glad you're along for the journey, so let's pursue greatness. Well, howdy and welcome to the Aggie Greats podcast. Uh, today we're joined with Dr. Lauren Craig, who's uh, a counseling and sports psychologist in the athletics department. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Howdy. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. Yeah, no, we're so excited to have you. We're going to be delving into some really cool topics today. Um, but before we get into that, just so that the audience kind of understands more about you and who you are, um, do you want to talk about a little bit about where you grew up, how you kind of got started in this whole sports psychology career? Yeah, absolutely. I actually really love getting asked that question. It's it's one of my favorite parts to kind of talk about, you know, this part of my professional journey. And um, in a lot of ways, it's always kind of been at the heart of what I've wanted to do with my life and my career. Um, I grew up an athlete myself and had the opportunity to compete all the way through college and you know, as being an athlete, you always kind of know that no matter what level you're at and how long you've been doing this, there's always that recognition that, you know, this chapter is going to end at some point and you're going to have to find something else to do with your life as well. And so I always kind of knew like, hey, even though this competitive chapter is going to end at some point, I want to stay connected to the world of athletics and working with student athletes in some capacity. And you know, during my undergraduate training, I obviously fell in love with the field of psychology in general. And be, to be able to kind of think of a way to combine the two, right, to, to find a field that I'm passionate about and be able to use it and apply it in the work with student athletes, but also knowing like, hey, that was such an important chapter of my life, has was been a big motivator for how I chose this field. And what's actually pretty funny is that at the time when I started looking at graduate programs and things, I, I knew I wanted to do that, but the field, to my knowledge, right, was so young, um, at least what I knew about it. And I was always under the impression of like, hey, yes, sports psychology exists, but there's only, you know, a few in the nation and they only work with professional sports. Yeah, of course. So I was like, there's no way I can actually get connected to this field. And I was so lucky to, to have the opportunity to have really great mentors and professors in graduate school that actually helped me get connected um, during my graduate training and be able to kind of network in a way that allowed me to kind of create the path and get connected to this university. And so had the opportunity to do some training at both University of Central Oklahoma and then did my doctorate at the University of Oklahoma. And during both of those experiences, had the opportunity to work with or start working with professionals in the field. And during my last year of training, you do um, an internship, kind of like a residency, right? Yeah. And Texas A&M was one of the um, internships that offered some additional specialized training That's at cool. tracks. And so that was a really important thing for me when I was choosing uh, training sites. And so had the uh, opportunity to interview here, loved it, obviously, right? Of course. Uh, matched here, had a great internship year, and got to work with Dr. Marianne Covey and our director now, Dr. Ryan Pitzinger. They were both my supervisors during my internship year, and Dr. Covey really established, kind of helped establish the relationship with athletics 
years and years and years ago. That's so cool. <laughs> so how did you, how long have you been working here? Yeah, so this is actually my sixth year at wow. Texas A&M. Um, it's my fifth year housed fully in athletics. Uh, that first year was that internship year. And then uh, at the end of that year, they said, hey, you know, there might be some opportunities that we're growing this department here in athletics. Would you be interested in staying? And absolutely, right, That's was my awesome. answer. So um, was lucky to have the opportunity and haven't looked back. That's great. Well, that's so cool that you have such a big experience. I think working out in Oklahoma and then transferring here has probably given you a lot of view into a totally different atmosphere and a lot of different people. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that's probably helped a lot with dealing with all sorts of people. Um, and I think that's something that kind of goes into the topic that we were going to delve into today, which is uh, the mental skills pyramid. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's kind of a, it's, it was developed by Jack Lesk. Jack Lesk, is that? Uh, Dr. Jack L Lasik, yeah. Yeah, Lasik. And so he's over at the Ohio Center for Sports Psychology. And so we were going to kind of delve into that and break down how to become, how to develop more mental skills and then also how to just become a better athlete. And obviously the focus of the podcast is on the student athlete mm -hmm. part. So not just becoming really good at athletics, but also becoming a better student. Uh, somebody who can go out into the workforce and make a difference in whatever way that means. And so um, why don't you go ahead and take it away? How does the mental skills pyramid kind of work and maybe apply to that student athlete? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up kind of the, the dual role here, right? The successful yeah. athlete, but also the successful student. And what I appreciate so much about this pyramid is it really created kind of nine core skills that really help us be successful in any sort of performance role, right? But also just maybe as people, right? Interacting right. and navigating our lives. And so when we look at this pyramid, it's really helpful to kind of think of it operating in kind of some three tiers. And so the first tier kind of creates those basic foundational skills. Um, and those are the skills that really we want to try to focus on strengthening every single day. And a lot of times it's actually really helpful to think about them as more characteristics or traits of, you know, trying to become part of who we are, right? And what makes us um, who we are in the ways that we interact as an athlete, a student, and as a person. And so we have our basic kind of level one foundational skills. And those have uh, four skills within that. And the first one that we'll kind of talk through is attitude, okay. right? And we really think of that as being kind of at the heart of um, kind of laying the groundwork for everything, right? And one of the reasons we say this one is so important is we really kind of acknowledge that, you know, being an athlete, being a student, heck, just being a person living life, right? There's, there's a lot of times where it feels like there's so much that feels out of our control Yeah, sometimes, sure. right? You know, we can feel like we can give our best effort, do everything right, and still things may not pan out the way we thought. And so it, the attitude piece really helps us recognize that at any given moment, no matter what we're facing or who we're up against or what situation we're dealing with, there's always two things that are within our control at any given moment. And those two things are our attitude mm -hmm. and the level of effort or intention yeah, right? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that we bring to the table. And so part of that successful athlete or successful student mindset is knowing, hey, at the end of the day, my attitude is a choice, right? Mm -hmm. And I get to choose um, how I'm showing up and what 
perspective or attitude I bring to the situation. And I can make a choice to see my competition, to see this adversity, to see this this class, or even our relationships with people. I have a chance to see this as an opportunity to learn about myself, mm-hmm. learn about others, and really grow from the moments where I'm succeeding or when I'm making mistakes and failing. You yeah. Know? No, that makes sense. I think something that my or something that I came across recently was this idea that your attitude affects your altitude and so Mm -hmm. the attitude that you bring into whatever environment that is whether that's the workforce or whether you're a student and you're or an athlete and you're trying to work on developing your craft something that really I think keeps people at a certain level is their attitude because and if you don't and that's why it's number one on the list is because without that foundational piece without the right attitude everything else that we talk about in this pyramid is kind of worthless because you're not even coming in with the right mindset. So I think that that is really cool. Um, No, attitude is huge. I like that you said, you know, the two control, like the two controllables are your attitude and your effort. I've heard that for years from my coaches. And so it's cool to hear that um, as a piece of this pyramid. And so for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love that attitude affects your altitude. That's, that's awesome because I do think that, that uh, another thing that's really helpful to keep in mind and sometimes where we can maybe struggle or kind of hit an obstacle is recognizing that part of our attitude also is, you know, trying to pursue excellence, Mm -hmm. but not perfection. Yeah. Right. I struggle with that a lot. (laughs) So do I, right? A definite work in progress all the time with that. But it is, it it is recognizing, hey, like just part of being human, we're never going to be able to be perfect. Right. Of course. And so how can we have that attitude of, I have this growth mindset Mm -hmm. where I can always be getting 1% better um, and taking those risks and making mistakes because I have something to learn from it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I I agree. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. And I think like before, you know, moving on to that second skill, the one thing that I always like to keep in mind, too, when it comes to attitude is recognizing that having perspective of the role that we have as athletes or students um, is keeping that balance and that perspective from the sport or our school Mm -hmm. and the rest of our lives. Yeah. Right. You know, like being able to say, hey, being a student athlete and the things that I do or being a student it's a big part of what I do. Yeah. It's an important part of what I do, but it's not who I am. Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to like not, you're, you're not what you do necessarily. Yeah. And, and I think having that perspective that like, Hey, at the end of the day, I'm an athlete, but I'm also a teammate and a roommate and a friend and a son and a partner. I'm all of these things Mm -hmm. and all of those are pieces to the puzzle that make me me. Yeah, for sure. And so being able to have that attitude that, hey, I want to have a good, healthy balance with all mm-hmm. those allows me to show up in the ways that I want in yeah, these different areas of my sure. life. No, that's awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of leads then, I think, to that second skill, mm-hmm. right? So we're, for when we think about that first tier, that kind of the foundational level, we're really thinking of four skills. Okay. So the second skill that we're going to talk about is motivation. And so when we think of motivation, we're really looking at how do I find a way to stay consistent and persistent Mm -hmm. in, you know, what drives me and what motivates me and keeps me working toward the goals that I've set for myself. Gotcha. And I think part of that is recognizing that, you know, number one, we have to be aware of what do I really expect to get out of this, Mm -hmm. right? Whether that's in my sport 
or in the degree plan that I choose to pursue or the career path I, I walk down eventually. You know, what do I, I hope to get from participating in this and working toward that? Yeah. Because I think that lays the groundwork for what kind of keeps us anchored in mm-hmm. those moments, right? And the reason I think that that's such an important skill is it helps lay that groundwork for persisting during these maybe difficult or challenging times, mm-hmm. as well as the time that it takes to get to the goals that we want. Yeah. Right? For sure. Like, I don't have to tell you, right? <laughs> that like, probably, I would say 90% of what we do is, as athletes and just as people is we're constantly working toward a goal like that delayed gratification. Yeah, of course. Right? You're trying to get 1% better is yes, a little bit better. Absolutely. And we have to know, too, that like any one practice, we may not get that ultimate goal, right? right? So we have to be able to keep showing up and doing that in really meaningful ways, even though we know that reward that we're seeking may still be a little bit of a ways off. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. And And so part of that skill is then recognizing, hey, a lot of my motivation has to come from just the process, Mm -hmm. right, of participating and working. I think that goes back to kind of the idea that the the end goal isn't necessarily, I guess, the finish line. Like we always think about it as my goal is over there. Mm -hmm. I want to win that championship or whatever. But we lose sight of the journey and the process that gets us there. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like all the steps that get up to that point are kind of what make it worthwhile. And, you know, like you said about motivating or about being motivated in spite of failures that each practice isn't going to be your best mm-hmm. one. It's not going to be perfect. But that idea of s- maintaining your motivation and failing forward, which mm-hmm. I think is a really important mindset of, you know, recognizing that each time that you fall, every time you get up, you're getting a little bit stronger. Yeah. And so I think that that's so important for, building that framework Mm -hmm. of becoming a better athlete is, you know, staying motivated. And what are your thoughts on the importance? I've read a lot about the importance of writing down your, Mm -hmm. your goals and your motivations. Is that something that is a psychological thing? Cause I know that a lot of people, I mean, studies have shown that writing it down Mm -hmm. has a bigger impact. What are your thoughts on that? Totally. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's spot on, right? We do know there's tons and tons of research that does show it's super helpful to have that visual, Mm -hmm. right? Something we can look at, we can see it physically day in and day out. Um, And also, like, in addition to kind of writing it down and keeping it where we can see it, we also know that you know, relying on other people or telling other people who are important to us what our goals are, mm-hmm. that helps kind of bring them into the loop, right? Yeah. And helps keep accountable, right? For sure. So there is a piece that absolutely is helpful in writing down your goals and helping with that commitment. And and actually that leads perfectly, right, into, <laughs> look at you now, that, that, Perfect. <laughs> that third skill, right, of goals and commitments, mm-hmm. getting, being skilled at being able to set really, really helpful goals and strengthening our commitment to those goals on a regular basis. Okay. And so when you bring up the, the idea of writing down our goals, one of the, what I would say kind of the second piece to that mm-hmm. is not only writing them down, but giving ourselves time, like a time base to kind of circle back and check in. Gotcha. Right? I think one of the biggest obstacles we run into when we try to goal set is like, hey, we'll write them down mm-hmm. and then we never really revisit them. Oh, yeah. Right? That's true. <laughs> I've definitely done that. Same. They're in the journal somewhere and yes. <laughs> we're never seeing them again. Exactly. I mean, here we are, right? We're in January. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's the month of resolutions. Of course. And we have these, these lofty things, but a lot of times we don't 
we can set a lot of goals, but we also don't take that step to say, hey, what's the realistic plan mm-hmm. to kind of help me take each step on that ladder toward that goal? Gotcha. Right? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so part of that skill is like, hey, am I setting both short-term goals mm-hmm. and long-term goals? But no matter what type of goal I'm setting, am I making sure that um, they're called what we call SMART goals? Okay. Yeah. Right? Um, and so when we say SMART goals, it's really kind of an acronym for saying, hey, is my goal specific? Mm-hmm. Can I measure it? Right? Um, is it attainable for me yeah. that I can actually reach it right now? Um, is it relevant to what I'm doing and what's important to me? And then lastly, is it time-based? So gotcha. am I going to say, hey, let's circle back in a week or mm-hmm. a month and say, how is this goal going? Because I don't want, even though I may set, okay, I want to accomplish this by the end of season, yeah. I need to check in maybe probably a month into the season right. to say, how are we doing and what do we might need to change to get to that yeah. goal? Ultimately. Maybe an example of a SMART goal, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe it's something like, Say you're trying to maybe gain five pounds or even lose five pounds. Mm-hmm. Say you're trying to gain five pounds that you're not going to be like, okay, in one month, I'm going to be five pounds heavy. Like that's probably not a tail or one day, you know, it's like right. you're not going to gain all that weight mm-hmm. in one day. But if you could say by, you know, in two months, one month, I want to be one pound heavier or whatever. And mm-hmm. You're taking those steps. Would that be an example of a smart goal? Yeah, that would okay. be, that would be a, a really good example. And I think too, you know, kind of recognizing a big part of being able to meet our goals is do we have a really good awareness of where I stand now, mm-hmm. right? Um, what I'm doing well, what I need to improve in, and then what those actual steps are going to be, gotcha. right? And so mm-hmm. I may say, hey, you know, I want to increase my serve stat, mm-hmm. right, by yeah. this percentage by the by the end of the season. Well, what is my serve percentage right now? Yeah. Right. Well, you have to measure that first. Exactly. And then figure that. Gotcha. That makes sense. How important does that idea of smart goals apply to teams in general? Because obviously mm-hmm. in college you're playing on a team. So how important is it for teams to come together and establish those goals? Yeah. Super important. Right. Okay. Super, super important. And I think it's a really great point that you bring up because I think it helps. It gives it gives a little bit of a, a blueprint. Right. It mm-hmm. kind of gives this shared vision of this is what we're working toward together. Yeah. Right. And I think it also helps provide a little bit of what does each person's role look like in getting there? Yeah, of right? course. And knowing like, hey, this may be our ultimate thing we're trying to accomplish as a team, but the path or route of what I need to do to get there might mm-hmm. be look different than my teammates. And that's okay. Gotcha. As long as we're checking in with each other and holding ourselves accountable okay. for that. Gotcha. I think that's so important, especially within, and it's not just athletics. Mm-hmm. Like I think within, you know, companies, mm-hmm. all companies have a mission and a vision statement and that's not just for not just to look nice on the website it's because it's something that they're working towards as a group and i think that that's what draws people to big companies is they are there especially with disney like i love disney i mean they have that vision of you know we're making everybody have a happy place you know like everybody Mm -hmm. is going to come out with a smile on their face and so everybody who works there has that same vision. And so right. that makes the company so successful, yeah. I think. And it helps with buy-in. Yeah, like of you're course. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So how does that apply? I know the next one is people skills. How does that kind of tie into that, uh, the next step? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a, it's a perfect tie-in, right? Because I think it's really acknowledging that, hey, to be, for me to be successful, right? One of the biggest things I have to recognize is that 
I'm one part of a system, mm-hmm. right? Right. And that can be, that system could be my team. It can be, or my teammates, my coaches, but it can also be my friends that are supporting me and showing up to games. Yeah. My family members, right? That have supported me from however of long, course. right? And so it's recognizing that I'm just one part of that and mm-hmm. that in order for me for me to be successful, I have to be able to both give support and kind of show up for the people in my system, but I also have to be able to receive support from them as well. Gotcha. Right? And mm-hmm. so I part of that skill is being able to say, hey, do I know how to communicate clearly about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, um, what I'm needing, mm-hmm. right, in that moment? Yeah. Um, but more importantly, too, I think your first episode of this podcast, for those who didn't have a chance to listen, <laughs> was a perfect example of this, right? This idea of am I coachable? Right. Mm-hmm. And not just as an athlete. Right. But like yeah. part of being coachable is just a human is can I hear feedback? Can I receive things or you know, constructive criticism or feedback and use it to make improvements or to get closer gotcha. to my goals? Yeah, I think yeah. that's yeah. I mean, people skills. I mean, you can especially within I think it's interesting because like especially for my experience as a tennis player, it's very mm-hmm. growing up. It's been a very individual sports just kind of like how I do is how I do it doesn't really I'm playing for myself I mean and in doubles it's a little bit different but singles is kind of the primary focus especially in juniors and so coming and learning especially in doubles like you have to be able to work well within the team you have to be able to work well not just with one person but also like you said being able to accept feedback Mm -hmm. because that's that process that's that growth and I think that goes back to attitude you know having Mm -hmm. the right attitude of being receptive and recognizing that hey my coach isn't just here Mm -hmm. to tear me down they're actually their whole job is to help make me better and I think a lot of people put up walls because they're just assuming hey like Mm -hmm. you're attacking my ability to play my sport like Mm -hmm. I've been playing this longer than you so it's like developing that uh, attitude Mm -hmm. recognizing that hey I it's okay to accept feedback they're here to help me Mm -hmm. I think is so important and so absolutely like you said that's really I think important and that's part of is that part of the base level of the mm-hmm. pyramid or is that? Yeah. So that's actually um, kind of our the last of the four okay. um, gotcha. of that kind of foundational level. So to, you know, kind of review those those four in summary before we move on to that second mm-hmm. tier. When we think of those basic skills, we're looking at our attitude. We're looking at our motivation, our goal setting skills, mm-hmm. our ability to commit to them and our overall people skills. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Um, and navigating conflict. Okay. For sure. Perfect. Um, and so all of those, I think, help us set a really healthy foundation. And again, those are ones that we really want to think of, hey, we're using these pretty much daily. Okay. We're, we're looking for ways to improve this moment to moment every single day in some way. Gotcha. Our second tier, we call the level two skills. Mm-hmm. These are really what we would think of more as kind of preparatory skills. Gotcha. So there's two that kind of go in this level. And the two that we're thinking about here are skills that we would turn to or use in the moments leading up to a okay. performance, competition, gotcha. things like that. So the other ones are just, you need. so the four that we just discussed have been, you need these all the time, 24-7, to be a good performer in whatever field you need those for. And so these are more, now you're about to go perform, whether that's you're going to give a big presentation or you're about to go ask for a job promotion or something Mm -hmm. or you know you're about to go play for your school yeah Uh, so these two are more about in the moment is that kind of 
Yeah, so they're more focused on, yeah, the moments leading up to actually okay. performing. Gotcha. And so the two that we're going to kind of talk through for this are our self-talk mm -hmm. and mental imagery. Awesome. Okay. And so self-talk, I think, is a big one, right? Yeah. Um, and there's we could probably spend a whole podcast just of talking course. about self-talk um but really when we're when we're thinking of self-talk we're thinking about this kind of broad umbrella of anything that we are saying to ourselves whether that's internally that may not be spoken out loud um or the things that we're actually telling ourselves gotcha out loud or we're kind of saying while we're performing and what one of the things that i uh, i kind of think about a lot when we think about self-talk it, and how it can be most beneficial for us is first and foremost really recognizing that self-talk is going to happen. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, <laughs> I wish I could turn off that voice in my head. Sometimes I wish we could too. And so, but like that's kind of the the blessing and the curse, if you yeah. will, of kind of being that thinking um, creature, right? Mm -hmm. And so we recognize that hey, with our but with our ability to think comes that ability to overthink sometimes, yeah, right? Of and so when we think about self-talk, I think recognizing, hey, it's going to happen and I can accept that that's going to happen. But so I may not be able to control that. Mm -hmm. What I can control, though, is how can I then strengthen my ability to help maybe direct gotcha. my brain into the way the areas that I want to think, how I want to think about things. And to the extent that I can try to control that narrative, control okay. the things that I'm saying to myself. Gotcha. Yeah. Is there, because I especially, my, my biggest thing is mm -hmm. I overthink all the time. Uh -huh. And so when you're in that match scenario, is there a way to kind of turn it down or dial it down? Mm -hmm. Or is it just kind of, sometimes it just feels like a big fire hose, just uh -huh. information's coming in, you know, people are yelling, the mm -hmm. ball's flying in your face and the yeah. wind's going 20 miles an hour. How do you, are there any ways for people to kind of like turn that down? Yeah, totally. Um, I will say, I mean, I will say yes is the short answer. Okay. Um, the longer answer is with a lot of practice, right? Gotcha. And again, acknowledging that we're always going to be continued growth and progress. Of course. Um, but one thing to kind of speak to that question is just like any of these skills that we're talking about today, the best thing to kind of keep in mind is that for them to be most effective or most helpful for us, anything that we do, having that mental plan going into anything that we do okay. is going to help us feel more prepared, but also actually help us execute it more effectively. Gotcha. And so one of the things that I always say is, hey, when it comes to self-talk, um, we definitely don't want to be trying to rely on finding a way to fix our self-talk in mm -hmm. the moment when it's actually happening. Gotcha. Right. Okay. We don't want to wait till, like you yeah. said, the fire hydrant opens and then we're trying to kind of scramble and think of positive things to say to ourselves. Yeah. That's really, really hard to do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. So you need to kind of have a plan before <laughs> yes. um, something that I was reading um, within tennis is called USTA, United States Tennis Association. Mm -hmm. They put out a really good article about this idea about taking kind of those most common things that pop into your head, writing them down. Cause I think writing them down mm -hmm. takes a lot of power away from them. I think cause yeah. when they're in your brain, they're amplified and then just writing out a response or something that maybe is, is a good way to say maybe like replacing thought mm -hmm. or like maybe thinking about that before maybe making flashcards that you can keep in your bag. And when you're in that moment or you have that thought um, and I, I mean, I think that something I was reading online, I was talking about this idea of identify, challenge, mm -hmm. and then change. And so maybe what you were talking about, that idea of 
identifying is like probably one of the hardest things because mm-hmm. being aware of your thoughts and is that kind of the the first important step for making better self-talk absolutely and i think part of that identifying or being more aware is also recognizing hey what are the what are the most common errors right mm-hmm. like where do i tend to to mess myself up or get in my own way when it yeah. comes to self-talk and there's actually some really really common ones that most of us will do at any given time and so the first is kind of focusing too much on the past or the future mm-hmm. right yeah so I wish I hadn't have blown that or, hey, I really don't want to make, you know, mess this speech up. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're not even focused on the present moment. That's our first error that we always okay. go to. The second one is focusing on what we feel like our weaknesses are or what we don't perform well in. Right. So maybe my serve's not feeling very good today or my backhand isn't strong. Yeah. Right. Um, versus, you know, focusing on what is going well or. Um, what do I want to focus on? And we'll, we'll circle back to okay. that one because yeah. that one's a really important part. Um, another really common mistake we made is really focusing only on the outcome, right? Okay. We talked about yeah. that a little bit before. Um, but also focusing on things that are uncontrollable, mm-hmm. right? So whether that's our opponent or what other people are thinking, how mm-hmm. they're perceiving us, um, we can't control any of that, right? So it takes our focus away from what can I do, right? Right. Okay. Um, and then lastly, kind of coming back to that perfectionism that comes up for us, yeah. right? Like wanting to be perfect and trying to avoid making mistakes, yeah. right? And so a lot of times we can tense up and just not perform the way we want when that happens. And so when we think of that identify step, a lot of that is saying, hey, these are really, really common. So can I say, okay, hey, which kind of self-talk error might that fall in? Okay. Right? Yeah. So that's definitely step one. And you mentioned kind of the challenge and change piece, Mm -hmm. right? Um, A few things that kind of help with those steps. Um, There's a few really, really helpful tips, I think, that I I usually rely on um, when it comes to self-talk. And the first is, like you said, practicing it ahead of time. Okay. Right? Um, And the way that I kind of think about it is really kind of breaking down our performances into three areas. Okay. So we're kind of thinking about before a performance, during the actual performance, and then after. Okay. Right? And so one of the things that could be really helpful is almost kind of taking some time to journal and maybe write down, hey, like when I'm warming up for a match or I'm getting ready for a test or a big speech, you know, what are the thoughts that tend to run through my mind in those moments? Yeah. Right? And writing those out. Okay. Um, and then being able to say, okay, what would be a more helpful thing? What do I want to be telling myself or what would help me feel calm or grounded instead, mm-hmm. right? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so part of that is focusing on what's going to be helpful for me, right? Mm-hmm. And recognizing that, you know, different situations are going to call for different types of self-toss statements. Okay. Right? Yeah. So if I'm thinking about my before a performance, I may be wanting to focus more on statements that are going to help me relax or stay calm. Right. Versus if I'm during the performance, I may be wanting to say keywords or things that are going to help motivate me or kind of light that fire. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so when we think of, hey, what works well for me, it's also knowing that different situations call for different things. Yeah. Right. Of course. And then the two, the last two biggest tips I would kind of say for a self-talk perspective is two things. The, The first one is making sure that our statements are focused on what we want to do. Versus what we're trying to avoid. Okay. Right? Yeah. So uh, an example of this might be, you know, hey, 
I want to hit this serve, right? You don't, what we wouldn't want to say is don't blow this serve yeah. <laughs> or don't miss. I say that to myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> say, right? And so being able to say, hey, you know, follow through strong or see the ball, hit the ball. Okay. It's directing our brain into something that's actually helpful that it can do mm-hmm. versus trying to avoid doing something. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's helpful a lot. Yeah. And then the last tip I would say, and this one's kind of interesting, and I've, I've given a lot of thought to this one because ever since I read about it, I was like, huh. Um, and one of the tips they talk about is, using you instead of I when we're creating our statements. Interesting. Yeah. So instead of saying, you know, before a a match or game, I'm feeling calm and confident, I would be saying to myself, you are feeling calm and confident. So you're almost like stepping outside of, you're almost like supporting yourself rather than it's like me, me, me. It's you're doing it. Interesting. And why, why do they say to do that? Yeah, no, it's fascinating because, and I, cause I had the exact same question and you know, the more I was reading about it, it was kind of saying, you know, at what it does, it does a couple of things, right? Like you said, it helps yeah. remove, uh, it gives a little bit of distance, right? And that little bit of distance helps it stop from feeling like maybe so overly personalized mm-hmm. or so like we're too close to the, the yeah, source, if you will. Too close to the action. Yeah. But a bigger piece that they mentioned is it kind of helps trigger that part of our brain that's like, like, number one, how we would talk to other people, mm-hmm. right? So we may say that to our teammates, you yeah, got this, right? Of course. Um, and so not only is that how we might talk to other people, which a lot of times is easier for us to do mm-hmm. than apply it to ourselves. Yeah. Um, but secondly, it also helps um, that part of our brain where we receive that that self-talk. So when our coaches or our teammates tell us those things, like you got this, yeah, right, or you can do it, then our brain responds to that. I like that. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah. my what I've kind of done, and I guess maybe this is different, but maybe I'll start using the you mm-hmm. idea of it. I've I've been saying like we, like we've mm-hmm. got this or something. Mm-hmm. It's like almost this idea of like you know two on one. You know, it's your your mental yeah. p- person up there, and then like your actual like performance self. Because I feel like sometimes those get disconnected, and yeah. a lot of times you're attacking yourself up here, mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm just trying to do my best, like. You know, not yeah. think about it. And the best performances are when you're not even thinking. You're just kind of, you're doing it, and it's just happening and yeah. getting that. But having this idea of you've got this, I think, takes away a lot of the pressure as well. Mm-hmm. It's You're being a supporter to yourself mm-hmm. rather than being your biggest enemy. Yeah, for sure. And I actually really like that we've got this, like that team mentality yeah. I think is really cool that's, too. Yeah, that's how I've kind of always done it. Yeah. But I, I like the, the you've got this thing as well. Yeah. And so how does that tie into this mental image of ourselves because I think that you know the way that you talk to yourself um, has an impact on how you see yourself Mm -hmm. and so how does that tie in because I know that's the next piece of this uh, leading up to performance stage Mm -hmm. is that mental imagery so how does this tie into that yeah for sure no it ties into it really strongly and it, it really does like you said it helps set that stage of I can visualize myself if I'm telling myself that I'm feeling these things or that I'm focusing on those things then it's helping me visualize that as well and mental imagery is such probably one of the strongest um, mental skills tools that that, are, that is used um, and that's the case for you know a number of reasons there's a whole lot of reasons why it's the main or one of the main ones but um, when we think of mental imagery, we're really, really picturing ourselves kind of visualizing the success that we're trying to 
to accomplish, right? Mm. And so the reason that mental imagery is such a powerful and helpful tool for us is that at a neurological level, our brain can't tell the difference between when we are actively and physically carrying a behavior out and when we're imagining ourselves doing that action. That's crazy. Isn't it? That's fascinating. Yeah. And so, like, when we think of that, I mean, it has obviously a number of benefits, but one of the biggest things that I always think about is it really allows us to get extra practice in, right? Without having to go out in the cold. Yes, exactly. Or wear ourselves out or risk injury, right? And so, by the time we actually have to perform or execute a skill or a play or a performance, a test even, we've already played through, our brain has prepared so that by the time we actually go in to perform, then we're just executing. Huh. Right? That's really cool. Yeah. And we've done so in a way that we've seen that positive outcome. Yeah. Right? And we've seen ourselves kind of overcome any of the adversities that we're anticipating, right? Because part of our human brain, too, is to think about what could go wrong, right? And so part of the mental imagery is, We've already allowed ourselves to let our brain go there. Yeah. And then now think of how would I want to respond? Gotcha. So you've already kind of, you've been there, you've dealt with it. Yeah. It's kind of like you've, you're, you're just doing it again. You've already been there. Your brain's not like, this is my first time. Exactly. It's, I've already done this. So yes. I think that's cool because I was reading, a, there was a study about, ba- there was a basketball study. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read about mm-hmm. it, but they had people who didn't practice free throws at all. They had people who physically practice mm. free throws for 30 minutes a day and then people who just visualize themselves shooting hoops mm-hmm. and at the end of the study they found that the people who actually shot free throws and the people who visualize themselves shooting free throws pretty much had the exact same score wow. which was kind of fascinating to me yeah. and i guess that reinforces this idea of mm-hmm. how important visualization and this mental imagery is yeah absolutely and and I think that like that result from that study right it just goes to show like that piece of hey our brain is making those connections even if we're not physically carrying them yeah, out that's, you know that's fascinating yeah and so what we know about you know just some things to kind of keep in mind if we are trying to use mental imagery as a skill is a couple of things number one keeping it as real time as possible right yeah. so we don't want to be thinking about a match that just happened or a test that we just finished we really want to be thinking about the thing the match or the game or the test that's going to be coming up in the coming days right or the next day even and trying to incorporate as many of our senses as possible right so we want to be specific and detailed try to make it as realistic as we can by thinking about what are the things I would be thinking how would I be feeling physically and really trying to picture all of those okay when we're kind of creating that mental image gotcha interesting how do you get for example like smell I guess I guess for some sports maybe that's more when I visualize I try to obviously I can hear the ball bouncing I can see myself hitting the ball but how do you incorporate those other ones like that are those less used I mean even Mm -hmm. like taste you know like how do you incorporate that yeah no it's a really great question and and one of the things that I would always start with is can I really start to kind of put into words and describe as detailed as I can what those are look like right so can I say what the grass is going to smell like or how um 
how you know the tennis ball may feel in my hand mm-hmm. or if i'm a swimmer you know i can smell the chlorine that's yeah. in the, <laughs> in the okay. natatorium yeah. right um if we're sitting in we're, we're trying to visualize taking a test right we can imagine hey i can feel the ac kind of blowing yeah. on us right um but being able to kind of put it into words first might help kind of bridge that gap okay um gotcha. yeah to actually then trying to picture what that yeah. is okay interesting so that's all pre before you even mm-hmm. step out on the court, before you even step into the office to give the presentation. And so how do we take those skills and now we use the – so now that we've developed that kind of foundational, mm-hmm. the first four, we've we built what we need just for any, any cir- circumstance. Mm-hmm. Now we have these pre-match, pre-performance cues. What are things that we can do – in a match, in a scenario where we're actually having to perform to make sure that we're performing at the highest levels possible. Yeah, absolutely. And so that definitely relies on those last three of those nine skills. So that level three, when we're thinking of those level three skills, we're really thinking of, hey, these are the performance ones. These Mm -hmm. are the ones that I'm turning to when I'm in the heat of the moment. I'm actually in the performance itself. And these are the things I need to rely on to be as successful as I can. Okay. So the... The first two that we'll kind of talk about is managing, how do we effectively manage our emotions? Mm -hmm. The broad umbrella of emotions, right? right? And so, you know, when we think about that, it's kind of, again, coming to this place of recognizing and accepting that, hey, part of being an athlete, a student, a human, is knowing that emotions, all emotions, right? Mm -hmm. From excitement to disappointment, anger, sadness, grief, all of the things um, are going are an expected part of our experience, gotcha. right? And that sometimes, a lot of times, we will feel these emotions pretty strongly, mm-hmm. right? And so, in acknowledging that, I think it also gives us permission to say, "Hey, how can we use these emotions to help us meet our goals versus trying to avoid feeling them?" Okay, right? Yeah. Um, and so, I think that that recognition of, "Hey, I can." Or I guess kind of telling ourselves, you know, at the end of the day, like if we just kind of peel back all the layers, I like to talk about our emotions as like our emotions are data, Mm -hmm. right? It's information that our minds or our bodies are communicating to us to help us navigate the things that we're experiencing. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so being able to say, hey, I'm feeling nervous or angry or excited even, Mm -hmm. right? That helps communicate to us, hey, this is important to me. Yeah. Right? Like, this is something that's meaningful to me. Um, And so, rather than saying, hey, like, don't feel nervous or, you know, don't be mad, whatever, (laughs) right? Instead of spending our energy trying to avoid feeling them, right, can we allow them to be there and still engage in behaviors that are going to get us closer to our goals? Gotcha. Right? So, it's not like trying to shut them out because it's kind of hard to do that i mean i've definitely tried to be like oh don't think about it you know the the common arguments like don't think about a pink elephant you know it's (laughs) like of course (laughs) you're going to think about a pink elephant so maybe it's not necessarily avoiding the thought but like you said being okay with hey here's my thought you know i know it's here i've identified it i recognized it here's what i'm going to do to you know, it's not necessarily ignore it, but is it kind of using that? Like, how do you, what's the thought process? You're not ignoring it. How does that, Yeah. I guess, what's the mental thought process behind that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So one of my favorite 
professionals in this in the field of psychology social work is dr Brene brown okay um absolutely one of my favorite professionals and she has done a ton of research in emotions how we experience them and one of the things uh, that she says is that it's important to remember that we can't selectively numb the emotions that we feel right so we can't say oh i don't want to experience anxiety or anger or sadness we can't numb those without also numbing happiness and excitement and joy okay right and you don't want to numb all those no we don't right and so being able to say okay hey i have to allow myself to feel these i'm recognizing that that may be happening for me Mm -hmm. um but the second piece that i think is helpful is recognizing hey i may may not be able to control the emotion that pops up for me but I can, I do have choice in how I respond to it, Okay. right? And so kind of flipping that switch of knowing, hey, I don't want to react, right? So if, I, if a strong emotion comes up for me, I don't want to just react um, without, you know, trying to give thought to it, mm-hmm. right? And so when we think of like having that really strong skill of managing our emotions, it's making that transition from reacting to responding. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and so part of that responding, it relies on us being aware that that's happening for mm-hmm. us in the moment. Yeah. Identifying it. Exactly. Okay. Right. And so we can say, hey, you know, like, let's take anger. Right. That we mm-hmm. think of as a traditional kind of more negative. We don't want to have it. But that can actually be really helpful for us of like, OK, I'm recognizing that I'm angry at that call. Right. Yeah. Or that I'm behind or that I got a poor grade on this test. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so I can react, I can throw up my hands, I can blame other people, I can do a whole host of things, but what I want to work toward is being able to respond and saying, okay, like, I may be feeling out of control, let me take a deep breath, let me reground myself, Mm -hmm. right, and I can actually choose how I respond in this moment. Gotcha. Yeah, not just exploding about it. I like what you said, like, if you shut out all of your emotions, then all the positive ones that are actually going to make your performance better are going to be blocked out as well. So it like completely reverses any positive Mm -hmm. benefits that you could get. Yeah. And so I guess that's kind of similar. How is that different from managing your emotions? Because I know that kind of, we were talking about anxiety, but Mm -hmm. I mean, is that kind of in the same box as managing emotions? Totally. Okay. Totally. Right. And just like any emotions, I think that that's a really great point you're bringing up because any emotion we have, we have to be able to manage it well. Like even if we're super excited, yeah. Right. We still have to be able to not allow ourselves to get unfocused. Right. Right. In the moment. And so we have to be able to recognize even for the things that are going really well, I've got to be able to to kind of bring myself back into the moment and stay focused on the task at hand, even though I'm recognizing that all of these emotions may be happening. Yeah. For me. OK. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And that kind of ties in like for that kind of the second of the three skills is the managing anxiety specifically. I think it gets its own um, skill because I do think that when we think of performance and trying to, you know, be mentally tough or mentally Mm. successful, anxiety is a big part, right? Performance pressure is super, super common. For sure. Right. And so being able to say, hey, like, number one, just like I'm accepting that emotions are going to happen performance pressure is going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Like just acknowledging that that's, that's a part of performing, like that's step one, yeah. right? And then I think a big part of that too is saying, hey, you know, I can also reframe anxiety. I can think about it and, and use it as a way of saying, hey, this is actually something that can help me perform well, Okay. right? Yeah. So one of the biggest studies that was done 
years and years and years ago, helped develop what they call the inverted U hypothesis. And that inverted U hypothesis really kind of helped us say, hey, in, to some degree, we have to have some level of motivation, anxiety, pressure mm-hmm. in order to perform. Yeah. Right. Because if we didn't, we would feel like apathetic, be like, meh, like whatever. Right. Right. You don't rise to the occasion. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So we have to have some level of anxiety or pressure in order to kind of light that fire. Okay. Right. Yeah. But on the opposite end of that, we also know that if I feel too much pressure, too much stress, too much anxiety, then I tighten up. Right. Mm-hmm. I try to force a performance and then my performance decreases. Yeah. Right. Or suffers because of it. Got to find the Goldilocks zone. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. The Goldilocks zone. And, and that's that's what they actually I wish they would have named it. That. Yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> that would have been cool. And they actually called it the optimal zone of performance. Okay. Right. And Sounds it's more professional. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Goldilocks one, though, for sure. But it is. It's recognizing, hey, like we can find this optimal zone where I can light that fire. I can feel mm-hmm. that pressure but not force it. Yeah. Right. And so what's really interesting is, is also knowing that everybody's optimal zone may be a little different, right? So what you need in order to get to kind of that, that good zone of performance might be different than what I need to perform my best. Gotcha. And so the skill part is learning what is that zone for you, right? Okay. And can I recognize when maybe I'm falling out of that zone, I'm starting to get a little too tense or a little too worried. And then, knowing the skills to kind of bring me back into that zone. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. And I think that that's definitely a skill that I think we all need to work on. And, um, you know, you're not going to get out of it. It's not like you get older and the anxiety goes away. It's always yeah. there, but developing the tools and the resources to manage those is what makes the top performers where yeah. they are today. I mean, they've been there, they've, See, and I think as you start to develop those skills and you get experience managing and dealing with those experiences, you the next time it becomes a little bit easier and a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes the greats able to stay great is yeah. that they're, they've been there, they understand how to manage it, and they've developed a really solid framework mm-hmm. for challenging those thoughts and for replacing them with things that are positive and make them perform better yeah absolutely absolutely and hearing you talk about that it it reminded me of one of my favorite um kind of quotes or like descriptions Mm -hmm. that um that I've seen kind of in the literature when it talks when it talks about managing anxiety and one of the things that they used was do my butterflies fly in formation ah I like that (laughs) I love that because what I love about it is that it doesn't ever like you said um take away that anxiety right no matter how good we get at this like we're still going to feel those butterflies Mm -hmm. But have I become skilled in a way where they can fly in formation like versus that. all over yeah. my stomach? <laughs> you've got them organized. Yes. Yeah. So how does that, so how does, how do we take those skills? And I'm trying to figure out, because I know the last one is communication. How does that, wh- why, what makes that the, the tip of the, the tip of the pyramid? Why is that? such an important skill that made it into the framework mm-hmm. oh so for concentration yeah or, or yeah. Is it con- sorry concentration i think communication yeah. is a huge part of it I too, do. for sure was, yeah no concentration I yeah think. yeah no absolutely i mean and that, i think that's a good way of describing it kind of that tip of that pyramid um because i think it when we when we think about all of these skills that we've been trying to build and, and strengthen when it comes to concentration um it's really recognizing that you know, I have to really rely on all of these other skills yeah. in order to 
not only get focused, but stay focused, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we think of like concentration as a skill that's going to help us be successful, I really kind of break it down into kind of three ways that we can improve or strengthen our concentration. So the first is recognizing, do I know what I need to be paying attention to in any given moment in order to execute whatever I'm doing successfully? Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, so that can be specific things within the actual thing that I'm trying to do. Um, or does it need to be, hey, I need to be aware of what I'm feeling physically or mentally mm-hmm. in the moment, right? Yeah. So knowing what I need to focus on, right? The second thing that I would always focus on is, or that I would say we can improve in, is recognizing um, what are the distractions that become the most common that are going to kind of try to take me off course. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. So can I improve in my ability to be aware of and resist becoming distracted by things that are happening in my environment, but also things that are happening for me internally, my self-talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my the mental imagery that I'm using, right? So can I know both of those obstacles? And then that third piece is knowing when I inevitably, because I'm human, get pulled off track, get sidetracked, get distracted, do I have skills in place to help me redirect my focus and get back on track? What would be an example of like a skill or like a tool that you could use to do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think the use of cue words are really really powerful and so being able to have kind of short sweet to the point things Mm -hmm. that um, help you refocus for some people it's as simple as saying refocus or focus right okay Um, for some people it's something like breathe or ground or like you said we've got this yeah right something that you can do repeatedly that in between every action it helps almost kind of reset that clock okay right yeah because at what and i think within that the cue words are really really helpful when we use them um kind of in line with like breaking our performances down into smaller sections okay right yeah so if we think of an entire performance that's really easy to understand how maybe I get started and then I'm either thinking about how much I have left. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, if I'm halfway through, I'm like, Oh, I made a mistake here at the first two minutes or whatever. Yeah. Like then it doesn't keep us in the moment. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So being able to kind of break our things down into different chunks and then maybe having something that will help like, this is my focus for this piece. Yeah. Right. And this is the cue word or the thing that I'm going to use to help me stay focused during that time okay gotcha that's awesome well that helps a lot i mean that's i mean there's so much it's funny because we just talked about nine things Mm -hmm. but i mean there's so much there Mm -hmm. from you know how we become better people better performers how we first of all prepare Mm -hmm. for the performance and then ultimately how in the performance what makes us really good i think a lot of it i'd almost say that that middle piece uh you know we talked about self-talk and mental imagery those are almost more important than the performance itself i think sometimes mm. the the thought is like the battles or the the battles won before you even step out on yeah. the court or before you know just like giving a presentation it's like if you've put in the work before if you've mm-hmm. already established the skills and the things necessary then performing is just performing that's not i mean yeah. everything happened before the night before the day before mm-hmm. all the training that you did leading yeah. up to that and i think that's so important so. Well, and that's such a spot on thing that you bring up, because I think a lot of the times when it comes to just even even confidence, right, or 
um, feeling mentally prepared, um, there's actually been a study that was done that kind of showed just the difference in saying something was like a test versus a showcase, ah, right? Yeah. And I think you talking about that actually speaks to that piece of like, hey, if I can remind myself, like the work's been put in, I've prepared for this, I have a plan in place that I'm just trying to execute, then the performance itself, this is just an opportunity yeah, to showcase You're that. showcasing yeah. it. Yeah. I think <laughs> one of my teachers used to call it a celebration of knowledge. Yes. So they never call it an <laughs> exam. It's like, I know it's a test, but she's like, oh, it's a celebration of your knowledge. It's like, I, I don't that. really know how much I actually know, but we'll find out. <laughs> we'll see how much yeah, I'm celebrating exactly. right now. <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, yeah. those things are amazing. What would you, if, if you wanted, if somebody was wanting to kind of dig deeper into this, what are maybe some two people, uh, like people that they could listen to a podcast or people to go research, who would you recommend that they go look at to learn more about these yeah. things? So circling back again, I'm going to, I'm always going to bring up, um, Brene Brown. Of course. Definitely. Of course, follow her on all things. Um, but I also think, so there's a couple that stand out. Um, so George Mumford, um, actually wrote a book called The Mindful Athlete. And I cannot say enough good things about that book. It's, I think it's a very, um, it's a very easy read, but it has a lot of really um, good go-to exercises mm-hmm. that are really short that you can quickly and easily start to work into your daily routine. So George Mumford and The Mindful Athlete is a resource that I always recommend. Another one that I found to be really helpful is by Carol Dweck. Um, okay. She wrote the book Mindset. And uh, talks a lot about uh, the difference between that growth versus a fixed mindset. Gotcha. And so being able to, again, kind of catch ourselves in the moment with our self-talk and rechannel in a way that's more growth focused. Um, I think that's been a really helpful book as well and resource. Um, in terms of kind of social media, kind of the shameless plug, yeah. I would always follow our Aggie Sports Psych of on course. Twitter. Um, we're, we're trying to always have some, you know, again, resources, tie-ins, and things that are going on around campus for us as well. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the description <laughs> so people could yeah. follow that. And lastly, what's the best place that people can reach out to you? How can people get connected with you? Obviously, I know that they're Aggies and the, the student-athletes here have access to uh, your psychology services, but if somebody wanted to email you or whatever, mm-hmm. how what, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So my email is um, lcraig at athletics.tamu.edu, and I can be reached by email. Um, you can also, like I said, reach us through our Twitter handle, um, and my all my contact information is also on our 12th Man website. Um, on the counseling and psychological services Perfect. page as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We, um, It's an honor to have you on the podcast. And uh, for all of you guys at home, thank you guys for listening. And we look forward to uh, seeing you guys next week where we learn more ways to become a more transformative Aggie great. Thanks and gig em.